We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithane.org.au. Have you ever wondered, last week, Revelation, this week, have you ever wondered why God didn't answer your prayer? Prayer can be powerful, but it can be really confusing as well. For example, in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua prays that the sun stands still. And God makes the sun stand still, yet I've prayed for dozens of people with terminal illness and they never come out of hospital. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah prays that God would send fire from heaven and God sends fire from heaven and burns up 800 prophets of Baal. Yet I pray for godly transforming ventures to flourish and they fold. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's thrown into a den of hungry lions. God comes in, puts them on a diet. Yet I pray for Australians in poverty to get housing and it seems to get worse before it ever gets better. Yeah, prayer can be so powerful. Yet occasionally it can be really confusing. In fact, when I hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, I get way confused. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And gee, I have taken that verse out for a run. I mean, haven't you? I remember walking along beaches in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, as though it's like a mantra that just works like a a formula just in Jesus' name. It's gonna, I believe with all my heart, it didn't happen. So why is it that sometimes I ask him to do things in his name and believe with all my heart and it doesn't happen? Did I do something wrong? Was God not listening? Does he not care? Is he mad at me? Did I have not enough faith? Well, in our and in my very self-centered world, we do like everything to be about us, right? But when we look at the story of Scripture and we look at the story of creation, it's important for us to understand that we aren't the main character. God is the main character. And at times it's really difficult to embrace the reality that God doesn't exist to serve us. On the contrary, we, the the truth is, exist to serve and glorify Him. And when we recognize that he doesn't exist to serve us, yet we exist for him, helps us understand the meaning and the purpose behind why we pray. First things first. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do our will. He's not a puppet on a string. He's not Santa Claus. It's actually a really profound thought if you're able to sit in that and let it sink in. 
prayer is not the tool that God has given us that He might know us and align Himself to our will. I mean, we'd like it to be. There are times and seasons we're actually really desperate for it to be. But that's not the purpose of prayer. That's not why He gave us the tool of conversation with Himself. You might actually need to lean in a little bit for this one if you want to know the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is that you might know Him and do His will. The purpose of prayer is that you might know Him and to do His will. Remember Jesus in the garden, Matthew 26? He's looking down the barrel of beatings and whippings and nailed to a cross. He's left his disciples behind. He goes up to the garden so he can have a conversation with his father, the most desperate time of his life. And his conversation with his dad goes like this, Dad, if it's possible, if there's another way, if there's another route, if there's another way you can make this happen, if there's another way we can get to the same ends, but by different means, can we go that way? That's what I want. And then he says, but let me align myself with what you want. Not my will, but yours. He goes away, checks on his disciples. They're having a snooze, comes back again to the garden again. Spend a bit more time because he doesn't feel like his conversation with his father's done. He says, Dad! Dad, if it's possible, if it's not possible for this cup, if it's not possible for there to be another way for this outcome to happen, then may your will be done. Remember in Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 11, he's got to teach the disciples how to pray. He starts his prayer off by Fellas, gather around. Let me teach you how to pray. Pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Or in other manuscripts, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dad, I've got an agenda. I've got some things I want to ask, but I want to submit your will. That's what I really want. I want to know what your will is, and I want that to play out on earth as you want to happen in heaven. What if we begin our conversations and our prayers with that concept, with that idea in mind? Whose will am I pursuing in my prayer? Mine or His? Sometimes if we can just pause and answer that question, it might help us realign our prayers. Whose will am I pursuing in this prayer? Mine or His? Now I get it. They are such tough questions to ask. It was a tough question for Jesus to ask in the middle of the garden heading toward the cross. And it's a tough question for us to ask when we so desperately want Him to make things happen. When we so desperately want Him to change things, to manipulate our circumstances, to take a shift, to go left rather than right, to go straight ahead, to go forward rather than backwards. We want something, and He's all powerful. He can do it. If we can just ask Him enough, 
If you just beg Him enough, He'll change His mind. He'll do something. God, this is my will. Can you please align yourself with my will? (laughs) Thanks, Dan. I've shared with you before my Aunt Liz who passed away in her 40s from leukemia decades ago. Remember I asked her, Liz, can we pray for your healing? She says, Andrew, don't pray for my healing. Pray and discern what God's will is and then pray that in. Why did my Aunt Liz believe that as a guiding principle of her life, even in the face of terminal illness? Because my Aunt Liz understood that prayer wasn't a tool for God to get to know her and realign himself to her will, but for her to get to know her father and realign her life to his will. And that's the way she lived out her life. What does your prayer currently sound like? Is it your shopping list? Your Christmas list? All well and meaning, don't get me wrong, The scriptures say, hey, bring all your requests. He says it, bring all your requests. Jesus brought his requests. But what are you wanting to know? When you pray, when you had that conversation with God, what do you want? Do you just want that outcome? Do you want the resources to go from here to there? That's what you want. God, I need, whatever it is, just... I need it from here and I need it to there. That's what I need. That's my focus, whatever it happens to be. Well, AB, if you say that the purpose of prayer is to know God and know His will, then how do you know His will? Like, seriously, that's hard enough. Well, in part, we actually already know what God's will is and it doesn't require any prayer or any discernment for us to discover. It says in Romans 12, says this, verse 1. Don't conform to the pattern in this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know. Then you will test and approve God's will. He's good, pleasing, perfect will. Transform your mind, align your mind with the heart of Jesus, align your mind with the heart of the Father, and you will naturally know the heart of God, the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want more of your prayers answered, yes? Then be more like Jesus. AB, that is so simple. Like that should be on a Christmas card. No, it's not simple. Because if it was simple, we would all be doing it, right? Being like Jesus is actually really, really difficult. But it makes sense. It makes sense that if we can replace greed with generosity, then that will affect our prayers. God's resources. Okay, God, I've got a whole bunch I want to ask for. But I know that you tell me to be generous. So you've given me something. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? What if I do that? 
Can you do something with that? Can you change someone's life with that? I thank you for providing me, but can you do something with that? Rather than just, God, can you just... When you are more like Jesus, it changes your prayer. It makes sense that when you replace pride with humility, it changes the type of prayers you pray. God, I want that position. I want to be there. I want to be at that location. I want, rather than, God, how can you use me? What do you want to do with me? I'm available. I don't have to be, but I could be. Give me more faith. I know I don't feel like I'm courageous enough, but maybe I could if you're there. It makes sense that if we can replace fear with faith that changes our prayers, if we can replace hate with forgiveness, impatience with endurance, jealousy with trust, bitterness with grace. This is being honest. So this is a judgment-free zone, even online, judgment-free zone. I remember some time ago, a friend or... Even now I struggle. A person hurt me deeply. And I remember praying to God, God, it is time to take them out. Like Godfather type, take them out. And out of my righteous anger, righteous, you know, my prayer was all about bitterness, unforgiveness, So out of a heart of bitterness and unforgiveness comes a prayer, can you just take the person out? Let's just go straight to go. But what if I replaced that heart with grace and mercy and forgiveness? Suddenly my prayer becomes, God, what do I need to do? How do we bring reconciliation? Can you forgive me, Father, for the part that I've played in this? God, can you change me so this doesn't happen again? Prayers change on the back of how like Jesus-minded we are. And there are so many scriptures that already tell us the will of God, already tell us what we should be about, who we should be in the likeness of Jesus. The difficulty is implementing it. Generosity, absolutely. God, you've given me so much. Now what do I do with it? That's the prayer. Not just give me, what do I do with it? What's your will that you want implemented on earth? Is it all for me? Or is it for me and someone else? Your prayers change when you are the heart of Jesus. Let me give you a bit of a personal example that Beck and I are now going through now that we got married a couple of weeks ago. You can cheer on that if you want. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Also, I'm going to milk this for a little bit because it's just so good. (laughs) Now, this isn't to get a pat on the back. It's just just a story that we're traveling through at the moment. Before we got married, Beck and I, God graciously gave us two townhouses in the same complex 20 meters apart. So her fridge was my fridge and my pantry was her pantry. Or really it was her fridge was my fridge, her fridge was my fridge, and her pantry was my pantry, really was the way it went. But it was good. The kids could go in and out. It was just made it easy to still be close enough to connect, and it was great. Well, now that we're married, we don't need two townhouses, we only need one. So it's okay, we're going away in a few weeks' time for three weeks, God. Are we gonna pay exorbitant, you know, two rents while we're away? Are you gonna be able to get rid of one? Uh, you know, break the lease, fight someone else to take it over. 
Are you going to find us a house? Because a two-bedroom for five is not quite going to work right at the moment. Are you going to find us a house? We can get rid of both. What are you, what are you doing? Now, the practical part of both of us is, let's just tell the real estate agent, they've probably got people lined up from here till, you know, Timbuktu who can just grab it and we won't have to pay at least one. Done. And then what do we do with the stuff in my place? You know, two single people, two toasters, two kettles, lounges, beds, cutlery, cut, like, there's only, there's only so many coffee cups you need, right? So do I just take it all out of mine and shove it in Beck's garage and stock it up and when we break stuff, we'll just slowly use it over time. And then we just pause and said, all right. God, what is your will on earth as it is in heaven? Well, we can get about and just fix it. But what if somewhere in this you want to do something? How do we make that happen, God? Well, first thing was just hold it loosely. All right, God, so here's my townhouse. What do you want to do with it? So we spoke to our real estate agent and said, look, we, we do know a friend who's going through a challenging time and they were going to move a long way away, which wouldn't have served them very well. They really need a place here. Um, have you got anybody lined up? Could they be with a, with a shot? Well, look, we've got a couple of doctors and we've got some really who already want the place. Okay, so it's a slim shot, but there's a shot, right? Well, tell them to put their application in and I'll look at it. So we sent it straight away that day and they sent it straight back the other, that day. And my landlord later on that day said, you know what, Andrew? I often just go with my gut. And my gut tells me that we need to give it to your friend who couldn't find a place. Okay, so God, there's something that you're doing in heaven that you wanna have happen on earth and you wanna use us to make that happen, but in order for that to happen, we need to hold this loosely. Oh, that's really hard. Okay, God, what do you want with our stuff? So I remember having a conversation with this friend of mine and he said, look, I haven't really got that much, like a bed and a TV. So Beck and I had a conversation. I said, well, do we need my stuff? No. Can we just leave it there for them? I just move out. Could that work? Because then he'd have everything he needs. We could sell it. Wouldn't get much, but we could. What if we asked them? We text him. He said, "Yeah, that would be awesome." So suddenly, what happens is God's resourcing. And when we hold it loosely, he does a miracle through us to look after someone else. But at the same time, he's slowly unfolding his will for us. And we're not having to push doors. We don't have to make it happen. We're just trying to step and wait to see what God does. Now, it's a really good question if you say, AB, what about my needs? What about my needs? Like if I keep on looking after other people's needs, what about my needs? Great question. Remember Matthew chapter six. 
Matthew chapter six, verse eight says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. All this, he already knows what you need. No, but does he really need? Do I need to convince him that he knows what I need? Do you believe that he knows what you need? He knows what you need. Remember that following verse in verse 11, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. Does my kingdom come? My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the next one after that, he says, and give us today our daily bread. And then he moves on. He starts to talk about other stuff. Just one line in the whole prayer about what he needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he moves on. Remember that just after that, Jesus talks about the flowers of the field. He says, look how they're just so beautiful. They're so beautiful, yet they don't ask for anything. God looks after them. And look at the birds of the air. They're so beautiful, yet they don't ask for a thing and God looks after them. And then he goes on in verse 31, 32, he says, so don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. The people who don't know God keep on having conversations with God about this stuff over and over and over and over again. Don't worry, He knows. And then in verse 32, He repeats Himself, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then He comes into the verse, in verse 33, that's really hard. But seek first His kingdom and His heart his righteousness, seek first his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and all the other things that you need, he'll give them to you as well. Isn't it like this all the time? Like whatever it is, grace, forgiveness, bitterness, mercy, fear, courage, Hope, hopelessness, love, hate, greed, generosity. It's constantly. The challenge I've found with attempting to live your conversations with God like this is He gives you it. You say, let's start from scratch. Sorry, Camry person, it's more than I move usually, isn't it? You're lost, aren't you? He gives you it. And all you want to do is put it all down there. All on black number nine, please. Because if I put all this down there, will there be more coming? Isn't that the dilemma? Will more come? And the thing about God that I find really difficult is he waits for us to put it down before he shows the next lot coming through. (laughs) It'd be so much easier if we could go like this and like this. (laughs) No worries. Happy to. There's more down the track coming like that. But he doesn't. Because remember that passage out of Hebrews that we talked about the other week? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone, anyone who comes to him and believes that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, not just in heaven, but he rewards those who earnestly seek him now, he will keep it coming 
if we're able to live out the mind of Jesus. But he asks us to step first. Why aren't our prayers answered? Well, short answer is I have no idea. It's above any of our pay grade to know the mind of God and why he doesn't answer those desperate prayers. And I don't take any of those desperate prayers you've prayed lightly. Of loved ones, of children, you know, usually around people that we dearly love. I have no idea why he didn't answer your prayer. But I do know that if you want more of your prayers answered, yes, then capture the heart of Jesus. Desperately live it out by faith. And not only will you be a part of the miracle, he gets to use you to fulfill the miracle of someone else's desperate prayer. But you will see the miracle coming through your life from him. That's where the miracles are. They're in that place of faith that none of us like to go. That place of free fall where only he can make it happen. That's where we see the power, the immeasurably more of God that we all want to see. It's in that place of faith right there where it's placed down, wait to receive. Act first, wait to receive. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. So this week, this week, seven days, try it. Just try it. God, is this prayer your will or mine? If it's mine, as the team comes up, how do I readjust? How do I readjust my will to yours so I can participate in what you're doing rather than you participate in what I'm doing? And would you use me to make a difference? There is no drug, not that I've tried lots of drugs. In fact, there's no drug better no drug better than being a part of God transforming someone's life. It is addictive. When you see God use the little bit that you offer and He shifts someone's life from eternity without Him to eternity with Him, it ignites something in you that is addictive. And this transaction becomes easier because it's worth it. So Father, did I answer the question? Honestly, don't know your mind. If I did, then maybe I could take the role. All I do know is that you want to bring people to yourself and you humbly, you use humble people like us. You allow us to participate in this phenomenal thing called renewing the world. Whether it be a quiet conversation, a generous gift, 
a quiet paused moment, a held hand, a seat next to a bed, a Bible in the hand. Each day you tell us that you have good works for us to do. If only we'll wait and listen. So Lord, I pray that you might increase our faith. May you breathe life into our conversations and prayer with you. We pray over these football teams that have come over to this part of Australia to play football. But we pray you might do way more than that. We pray that you might use them mightily to change lives. So we place ourselves at your feet today. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.